worship and we're going out to war. Why? Because I am a saint with a song to my king, but a sword for my king as well. All right. Without further ado, let's look at the scripture this morning that we have. It's in Psalm 149. And I don't know if we have it over us or not. Um, We're going to see in just a few moments that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit that we as servants and soldiers are given. That's the sword that we possess, is the Bible. So I know that we have, whether you have it on an iPad, a smart device, a phone, um, I I want you to be able to look at the Scriptures. Um, So look at, this is God's Word, Psalm 149. Hear God's Word. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the God of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in his glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and a two-edged swords in their hands. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. May he bless his holy word. I want you to see two things. I want you to see the song, and I want you to see the sword, and then we're done. I want you to see here is a congregation that is assembling, it says, in verse 1, the assembly of the godly, and that they are encouraged by the psalmist in worship to make new songs. They're encouraged to gather together for song. They're encouraged to come together in worship with new songs. Note three things about this. First of all, under song, I want you to see how they are to worship. It says that they are, number one, to gather in the assembly of the godly. We're doing this this morning. This is our public or our corporate worship service. We are told in Hebrews to don't not forsake nor take lightly What's happening this morning? You know, there are a lot of people out there that they're scratching their head. They don't know why what we do in these in this this room. There's some of our neighbors that unless we invite them, and unless we, like a good shepherd with sheep, kind of shepherd them along, they'll never come in because what we're doing is so foreign to them. Because we are dealing with a generation 
We're actually on the second generation now that did not grow up in the assembly of the godly. I have, I have found that uh, when we were planting two rivers, we would try to do community events in the place that we met for worship in order for people to actually physically walk into the building and see where the bathrooms were. I mean, have you ever done that? What if you were invited? What if you have a, a, a workmate and they're Indian? And I don't mean like Native American Indian. I mean Hindu Indian. And they said, hey, listen, I'm inviting you to our temple. We've got a special celebration. My son is coming of age. And we've got a special celebration and worship service. And you're unclean Christian, but you're welcome. Wouldn't you be a little bit nervous? Like, I've never been in that building. Uh... Do I need to go to the bathroom before I get there? You know, I might have special needs. What do I wear? Uh, Am I going to be embarrassed? Do I stand up, sit down? There are a lot of people that don't know what we're doing. They're here, we're told, that the godly are in assembly, and the purpose of that is for worship. And the psalmist encourages them to make new songs. And he's saying fresh songs. It's not that the old ones are inadequate, but there's always this, that you're to keep the freshness in your songs to say there's, there's great and wonderful new ways to celebrate that I am godly because of grace. In other words, we don't just come into this assembly and do things by rote and by motion. We're to come in, as Annie Dillard writing about worship service, she said, if we really knew the God that we meet in worship, the God who sits on high to receive our praise, that is His delight for His children to come and praise Him, if we really realized who it is that we're assembling and whose presence we come to worship, we'd be wearing crash helmets. There's to be a freshness and even an awe and an excitement. And as Hebrews says, we're not to forsake the day of assembling in worship. But it's not only public, it's also private. That's one of the hows. If you look over at verse 5, it says, Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on the beds. This is talking about the folk that can't come uh, here this morning. Perhaps the the sick roll. Um, We... I think it would be fun. We got cell phones. You want me to call John, Mark, and Shay and see what they're doing this morning? Wouldn't that be fun? Hey, you couldn't be with us in assembly, so where are you worshiping this morning? I'm afraid we might find him poolside really enjoying his family. And guess what? That's okay. I'm a preacher. I get that. You got a Sunday off. Sometimes you don't go to another church. You, You just worship with your family at home. But hopefully we would find him this morning on Sabbath with some private worship. We read earlier, uh, it was read earlier, Job 7. And did you take note that, that it was, it's very, I mean, he's having a hard time. He's in the trial for his life. But then he asks this question. He says, what is man that you should have him on your mind, that you're mindful of him, and that you should... Have your heart upon him. And so here is Job on his bed, as it were, of affliction, and yet he's praising his God. 
A God who did not visit him according to his iniquities, but forgives him of his iniquities, and he doesn't deserve it. I, this is a psalm that says, even when we're in trial or on our sick bed, and maybe you're not sick, maybe you're like me, that there's many a night that you either have a hard time going to sleep or you wake up because of anxiety. And the only thing I've found to allow me to go back to sleep is to start to worship again and say, God, these things are, these issues are too big for little old me, but they're not too big for you. And God, I don't know the end, and I'm afraid of the direction this is going, but you are sovereign, you're a king, you're worthy of my trust in the unknown, the things that are in the dark, I'm in the dark about, it's as in light. It's like it's in the light for you. And I began to, on my bed, begin to worship. And I'm, I exalt, as it were, in His glory. And I'm calmed. Sick bed, anxious bed, just restricted away from the assembly. There's private worship that's going on. And then the last thing about the how is let them praise His name, verse 3, with dancing. And this makes Presbyterians nervous making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. The word for dancing, though, is mahal. And it's very interesting. When mahal, the word dancing, appears in Scripture, it always means pipes. Now, Wendy and I are headed, prayerfully, we want to be in Scotland by the spring. Um, Scotland is expecting us to be there for their uh, ministry of church, uh, mission of church planting in the spring, so we hope we get there by the spring. But... In Scotland, they have bagpipes. And I'm going to tell you, your wood is awful wet if you don't get fired up and lit up when you hear bagpipes. I mean, it makes you want to march. Dare I say, dance. I mean, I understand why the bagpipes would precede the clan in battle. And it is... Once you get past the warm-up, which sounds like they're strangling a cat or something, once you get past that, I mean, it is loud, and it's ferocious, and it's inspiring, and it, it makes you emboldened, and you're ready to dance. But they don't necessarily dance. I think that's what's going on here. He's saying, make that kind of bold, brave music that inspires you. Psalm 149 is different than the other psalms. The other, I I don't want to be sacrilegious, but the other praise the Lord psalms, they're all praising the Lord, and they're all praising Him as a a creator. They're praising Him for, uh, like in Psalm 148, they're praising Him because of all of creation. All that he has brought to be from the, the, the wee little bug to the animals to the grass. And they're just praising him for that. But Psalm 149 is praising him as a redeemer. And we've softened that to mean he died for my sins. He redeemed me. He, he saw me in bondage. He saw me like a slave in the marketplace. And he redeemed me. He bought me. He took me from that. He paid a price for me. And that's well and good and it's true. But redeemer means fighter. It means he redeemed me by fighting for me. 
He made war against his enemies, which were my enemies, to release me from bondage. He entered into my slavery and my bondage and fought for me and delivered me. In Exodus, after they got on the other side of the water, there was a song that Moses, a song of Moses. And one of the first things he says is, we, you know, we praise the Lord who is our fighter. And so here we're seeing the assembly of people who are godly because of the grace that's been shown to them. You see that in verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. In other words, we're gathering together, but we know that we're not godly in and of ourselves. We know that just like said in Job 7, when he has set his heart upon man, what is man that you should be mindful of us, that you should set your heart upon us, that you should take pleasure in us. The psalmist is saying, we don't understand it, but we stand on it. It is good news to us that we don't deserve his pleasure. We haven't earned his pleasure. We don't warrant his pleasure. But he says, I put my pleasure upon you. As it says elsewhere in Deuteronomy, you are my treasured possession. Out of all the nations, I, Israel, I have chosen you. Christians, followers of my son, I have put my love upon you, and with that I have adorned you. It shows up, that same term in the Hebrew, who shows up in the, the Greek in the New Testament in Luke 15. When the prodigal son returns home, the father adorned him. He put a ring on his finger. That put a ring on is adorning. He put a robe on his nakedness. That put on a robe is adorning him. Imagine that prodigal son. I mean, he is dirty from the pigsty and from his travels, probably emaciated because it said he only ate what he was doing good to eat what the, the pigs ate. He feels so unworthy. He's been working on this speech to try to come back into his father's good graces. His father sees him from a long way off. He rushes to him, throws his arms around him. It's scandalous. He's receiving him after he's done all that stuff. The older brother is probably telling the truth when he said he spent his inheritance that you gave to him on basically... Wine, women, and song. And the father goes, shh, 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 shh. put a ring on him. They'll identify him as mine. Adorn him with a ring. Adorn him with a robe. Clothe his nakedness. And then kill the fatted calf that we can celebrate because my son that was dead is now alive. That is the song. That is the song that these people are singing. And the song begins to go forward, and time won't per- permit me. But if you find, if you find yourself this morning saying, you know what? I have forsaken the assembly of the godly at Trinity. Oh, I come, but I don't come every Sunday. 
Or I come, but I don't really look forward to it anymore. Or maybe I've forsaken worship privately. Not simply on my bed at night, but during the course of the week. I am never found to pray. I am never found to look to God's Word. To learn more of Him and His purposes for me and His kingdom to His glory. Then let me encourage you to look at verse 2. Because I believe that word, let Israel... In other words, he's just said, listen, you're gathering as God's chosen people that he has pleasure in. And you want, we want new songs, so here's your inspiration for new songs. Here's your incentive to worship together and to worship privately. See him in two ways. See him as your maker and see him as your king. Rehearse and recite again that he's your maker. Again, that word, you wouldn't have known this. I did not know it until I studied this passage. The word for maker in the English is a little bit restrictive because in the Hebrew, it's makers, it's plural. It's actually a reference in support of the Trinity. Israel knew that in Genesis, when God said, I want to make man, he said, let us make. Man in our image. Israel in saying, let Israel be glad in his makers, is saying, let us be glad as we recite and we rehearse again that we're not simply, we don't simply have a God who said, okay, plant, man, uh, animal. We have a God who is a father. We have a God who is a spirit. And Israel, in this point, would say, we've got a God who is the promised Christos, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is our king and will dwell in our midst as our savior, rescuing king. You want to sing new songs? You want to get excited again about assembling and worship at Trinity? You want to ignite again your private worship? Begin to think, oh, you, unworthy as we are, God boasts in the heavens that he's our father. We have a savior who was not reluctant to die on the cross for us. We have a savior that not only loves us, but he likes us. And we have a spirit within that testifies that we're his children, and it's the very spirit of Jesus, it's God's presence with us, no matter how far we wander, or no matter where we go. Now, a sword. So these people are pumped up. This is like a battle song. This is like an army that is the day before battle, they begin to sing the songs of their nation. They begin to sing the songs and the great about their great hero king that they're going to fight for. I mean, this is really more of a, a battle song. They're, they're, they're bragging about their God. Time won't permit me, but I'll tell you, it's a fun afternoon study and read. Go to 1 Samuel and start with chapter 16. 
And read in chapter 16 how David was discovered. Saul is troubled by evil spirits and depression. Someone says, there's this boy that he actually is a man of valor. We hear he's a very brave young boy. And he's actually done some battle with bears and so forth. But he sings like no other. And he sings about God. And so Saul said, bring him in. They brought him in, and he had a place there, even though he'd go back and forth to his home with Jesse, he had a place there to sing to Saul to make music and song, and the evil spirits would go away. Chapter 17, David and Goliath. David, with a song, goes to visit his brothers. There's Goliath, and at this point, he then, with this song, this, this song that, that perpetuates him. What did he say when Goliath taunted, when Saul said, Hey, listen, I know you want to go fight him, but you're just a little boy. And he said, Let me tell you about my king. Let me tell you about the one I sing to. The one who was with me when the lion or the bear came and delivered me when I protected the sheep from his hand. He said, God will do the same when I face this bully. And then what did he do after he slew Goliath, after the Lord fought through David? He cut off his head with a sword. Fast forward to 20, chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. David's on the run from Saul now. Things have changed. We believe that many of the Psalms were actually written during this period, so he still has a song. And he goes to a temple. He has no weapon He asks the priest, he says, now that you've given me bread, I'm going to be leaving, but do you have any weapons here? He said, well, we got a sword. It's Goliath's sword that you took from him, that you cut off the head of the enemy. We've got that. And David said, I will have that because there's none like it. Now, scholars have looked into it, and they believe that that sword, now in Scotland they have a broad sword. I mean, you, you, you see the big old huge sword of William Wallace, you know, on Braveheart. And I mean, it looks mammoth, and it is a big sword. But Goliath's sword, by measurements in, in 1 Samuel, would have been at least twice that size. And so though David now is a young adult, adult, he wouldn't have been able, they have said, to wield that sword but he took it. And I believe he took it because he could say, I am not defenseless, and God has proven himself to fight through me, to protect me. A sword is both defensive, keep away, but it's also offensive to begin to do battle. Verse 6 is the pivot. Just a couple of points of observation, and we're done. If you look at verse 6, we could have stopped at the midpoint of let the high praises of God be in their throats. And that means basically leave with a song. We're going to leave in a few minutes from this place. And I pray, you know, the songs and the hymns were chosen with care. 
your elders have prayed about this worship service, that, that, that God would be sensed and, and His presence would be real to us and our hearts would be encouraged as well as convicted to be sons and daughters. And we're going to leave with a, a song of praise in our throat. We're going to leave with a pep in our step, as the guy says. But then the psalmist says, wait a minute. You're going to leave with a song, but realize God has put in your hand a two-edged sword. And he goes on and he talks about what Israel was to do at that time. This psalm may very well be a reflection of David's battles with the Philistines. And they would continue to have future battles where they would have to battle to both protect their identity as God's people as well as to continue to take or reclaim ground that was promised to them. The promised land was inhabited. The promised land was occupied with idolaters and pagans and those that God had said enough. I'm giving this to my people, but you're going to have to fight for it. To fight to be a Christian, but also to continually take our Father's world and new ground in the family, in the marketplace, in the neighborhood, in the, in, in the cities, in the nations. And so, if you look at this, I want you to just leave you with a couple of observations because as we... As you see, he says, execute vengeance on the nations. That makes us nervous. Punishments on the people. Bind the kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute them, the judgment render. This is honor for all of his godly ones. I think one text will help explain what we are to be about doing. You see, the sword we have in our hand is not a physical sword. Ephesians 6 says that the sword that is given to us in the Christian armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is in His Word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, here is how we fight, and here is what the fight is about. Beginning with verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, in essence, to translate, it's a war of ideologies. It's a war of ideas. It's a war of beliefs. We believe in God as our creator, and we have given him our lives, consecrated them to his service as our Lord, and we follow him. As our king, because he leads from the front, we follow him to fight for us and to fight alongside of him to bring his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth 
as it is in heaven. And one day it will be. Are you fighting? Do you realize that you do have a weapon? And it's not so tangible, a weapon of the flesh, to do damage to the flesh. Your sword is right here. Are you learning the words to the song? God's word, like a song, will inspire you. Are you teaching them? Are you teaching them to your children? Are you teaching them to your next-door neighbor, looking for opportunities to share your faith? Are you praying for missions to go around the world that this sword can enter in places previously closed to the gospel? There was one time that you would take out your sword. Um, There was one use of this dull-edged sword. And maybe some in this room have actually had this experience. If you ever go to a wedding at Summerall Chapel on campus, uh, if you're a, a, a graduate of the Citadel, you can request to be married at Summerall Chapel, and you can get your buddies to get their swords so that at the end of the wedding service, the bride and the groom will come down those steps, the swords are all arched so that they can walk under the arch of those swords, and one of the swordsmen at the top of the step or the, the la- at the bottom of the step, excuse me, at the bottom of the step, as the bride comes by, he taps her on the behind. He doesn't stab her. <laughs> he gives her a, a love tap. The warfare that we're about, we're actually singing the song. We're not going out and beating people up with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We're going like captives that have been freed, and now our Redeemer and our Savior says, you want to get out? Follow me. Grab a sword, and let's release the other prisoners. It's a glorious battle. It's not vindictive. It's releasing people, even as we were released with a song in our hearts and the sword of God's word proclaiming freedom and redemption from a glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning. I ask your blessings that we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts this morning. That you would allow us to see Jesus Christ is our great king doing battle on the cross without reluctance that he might win our freedom. Lord, may it ever be our song that you are a God by your mercy and the forgiveness of our sin have put your great pleasure upon us and adorned us 
as your sons and your daughters. And now we want the world to know. And by your spirit and by your scriptures, allow us to speak of your character and your mercy and your grace extended to all. Father, that's what we want to be about at Trinity. That people know what we do in this building. That we get fired up in worship and then we go out to serve Orangeburg out of the directing of your word with the grace that you've shown to us pointing people to our King and our Savior um, until He returns. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I got a little bit.